Hey, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast, one of the many places that we love to declare Jesus. We see you and your life living a life of resilient faith for all of your days, and we believe that listening to this message is going to be part of strengthening your faith journey. Enjoy the message. Isaiah 64, starting in verse 8, and you can also put a finger in the book of John because we're going to head there next. Isaiah 64 starting in verse 8, says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay. You are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. And we talked about this idea last week, that we want to be people that are formed in the hand of the Father, that we want to be formed into the types of vessels that he has called us to be and the way that he wants us and that we're not going to be a people who jump off of the wheel when it gets uncomfortable or when we don't understand what the potter is doing, but we want to be all the way formed by who he is. Looking in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, if you're following along with our spiritual meal plan where we have prayers and reading every day, you read this passage of scripture this past week in place of your meals that you are not eating. It's a very familiar portion of scripture to many, but it is part of John's account of Jesus' life. Part of what I love about John's gospel is that John just pretty much jumps like straight into the miracles. He takes chapter one to talk about Jesus coming and John the Baptist and Jesus getting a couple disciples and then he's like and then there were some miracles let's get straight to the good part so John chapter 2 starting in verse 1 says and on the third day there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there And Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It always feels like there's a verse missing there, but there's not. She just turned and talked to somebody else and said, do whatever he tells you. And now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, and each was holding 20 or 30 gallons. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that was now become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called over the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine First, And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this, the first signs of Jesus, did at Cana in Galilee. And it manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I want to talk to you today from the topic, Take Another Drink. You can tell somebody close to you, take another drink. You can tell somebody else with a little bit more gusto, take another drink. 
Y'all sound like you're hungry and thirsty. Do you need a third try? Tell somebody close to you, take another drink. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you for the word that you spoke to me. And I thank you for the word that you're getting ready to release to these people. Help me to release it the way that I heard it, God, in your name. Amen. Amen, church. Weddings are very funny things. They're very special places to go to. I actually recommend if you've been married for a little bit to try to attend a wedding every so often because there's something about going and seeing those first early moments of someone's marriage journey that just fill you with so much of those warm, early, good feelings again. But weddings are funny. People do funny things at their weddings. And we have lots of very specific, particular details that we want to be just right at our weddings. And we get really worked up about how everything is going to go down and where it's going to go down and who's going to be where and who's going to sit where and who's allowed to stand where and who's supposed to say what and who's not supposed to say what and who's coming that doesn't need to sit anywhere near somebody. Weddings can be funny things. And when I talk to young couples who are getting married, there is a recurring theme about the funniness around their wedding because there's a lot of things that are riding on a wedding. Not just the marriage, obviously that is the key thing that's riding on it, but family members and relatives and friends all seem to have a lot invested in this moment around these two people that we call a wedding. The recurring theme that I hear from young couples when I'm talking to them about their wedding situation is not necessarily the choices they're trying to make between what I, or during the season of what I like to call their final exam. I think the season between when you get engaged and decide to marry someone and the moment that you actually walk down that out, that span of time right there, that's called the final exam. To determine whether some of you have not walked through your final exam yet, so you don't quite understand what I'm saying, let me explain it to you. Because when you step into that moment right there, and you are going in the season of making decisions around how you want things to be done, and you're getting all kinds of input from everybody else about what you should do and when you should do it, that is your final exam to determine Is this the kind of person you can really make decisions with? And is this the kind of family you're really getting ready to be part of? Is this the group of people that we're really getting ready? And during the season of the final exam, the most constant feedback that I hear is about the input from the parents. It is about the input that they are getting on decisions and invitation lists from either side and either set of parents. And I get it because there's a lot riding on this moment. And you've been thinking about it for a long time. And it means a lot to you in the same way that it means a lot to them. And I empathize with them because when I recall 12 years ago, my moment of my final exam deciding whether or not Phil Ryburn and I were able to make the critical decisions to get us all the way to that moment in the eye, let me tell you something that used to happen during ours. 
So Phil and I got married at a destination. We went away somewhere to get married because we were looking for somewhere that was halfway between our two families who live in different, on different continents. We found a location, but when you do a destination wedding, you do a smaller group of people. You invite a smaller amount of people. Everyone can't come. There's different types of it. It's a different thing, so you invite smaller However, during my season of walking towards this wedding moment, Every time my dad would go travel somewhere out of state and be preaching somewhere else, he would come home. I'm just going to come this way a little bit more. He would come home, and he would say to me, oh, while I was there, I saw so-and-so, and I invited them to the wedding. And I would be like, you did what? Let me tell you all something about Bishop Pitts. If there is a party, he wants everybody to be at the party. Everybody to be at the party. And so I would have to explain to him, Dad, we have family members that we are not inviting to the wedding. And you are inviting people who we see maybe once a year. So I empathize with you when you tell me that you have decisions that you are trying to make with your family and with your parents, that there is a lot riding on the wedding moment because you want it to be a perfect day. And this young couple has come to their perfect day and something critical is happening. They have run out of the drink. They have run out of wine at their wedding. And maybe that doesn't sound like that big of a deal to you. You're like, well, it sounds like it's time for everyone to go home. But their wedding was not like your wedding. Their wedding was not a four-hour event. Their wedding was a multi-day event. Their wedding went on for days after days, often all the way up to a week. And to run out of wine at the wedding was a point of incredible dishonor to their guests. It was a point of incredible shame and embarrassment to their family to say that we have run out of wine at the wedding. It wasn't like you saying, hey, we decided to cut off the bar early and now your cousin's talking about you, okay? It wasn't like, hey, you decided to do a cash bar and your college buddies were kind of upset because you cared about your future you more than you cared about throwing them another party. It wasn't like some people were a little disgruntled. It was, this would mean that from this moment forward, shame would be on the couple and on their family because they were not able to provide the right amount of drinks for the party. This was a point of deep and incredible shame for this couple. There were even cases that are recorded of people bringing lawsuits against people because they ran out of drinks. This is a big deal for this couple. They are getting ready. They are just on the precipice of incredible social shame that they are getting ready to walk into. And isn't it interesting how at what should be the most joyous moment of their life. 
at what should be filled with the most happiness and the most celebration that just at that same time, shame is right there whispering at them. Shame is right there whispering in their ear. Shame is right there with them, just lingering, knocking, waiting to jump up. Shame has a way of just following you around and waiting for the moment that it can come and attack what's going on in your life. Shame has a way of just walking alongside you and just when you think you've outgrown that thing and just when you think you've walked past that thing and just when you think you're all the way on the other side of that thing. Shame has a way of coming up as you stand there with that college diploma and whispering to you where you came from and do you even belong in this place anymore. Shame has a way of when you finally start walking down that aisle whispering in your ear of past relationships and moments of brokenness in your life. Shame has a way of when you're up for that promotion reminding you of all of your insecurities and all of your inadequacy, shame has a way of just lingering there right in the moment when they should be able to celebrate and right in the moment where there should be something that they're getting ready to look forward to. Shame is right there holding on the coattails, getting ready and trying and hoping to drag them back where they came from. There's something about shame that always wants to be there with them. And with shame knocking at their door, Jesus' mother comes to him. And she must have been involved somehow with the family because she knew about the problem before it went public. And who's grateful for people who know about problems in your life and are motivated by compassion to move and do something before it goes public? Mary was the kind of woman who saw that there was something going on in this young couple's life. And rather than just sit back and let it play out, and rather than just sit back and see what happened, and rather than being part of the group who went to tell everyone they've run out of wine. She went to Jesus and she said, they have run out of wine. And Mary and Jesus have an interesting exchange here where he says to her, this isn't my problem. Why are you telling me this? This has nothing to do with me. And it seems like a very strange, there seems to be tension in the dialogue of what's happening here. And there seems to be not quite an acquiescence to what it is apparent that Mary wants from Jesus. And there seems, and there is something going on here. Because Jesus is in a moment where he is moving from who he was into who he's going to be. And he's moving from just being Mary's son with a questionable birth story into the purpose and the promise that he has always been intended for. He is moving. He has started calling his disciples and the ministry that he has. And it creates tension. And it creates, there is uncomfortability in your life. And there is tension in your life when 
when God starts to move you from who you were into who he's called you to be, that pressure that you're feeling right now, don't back up from it. That uncomfortability that you're feeling right now, don't back down from it. Don't back down from that uncomfortable, tense feeling that you're not used to because God just might be transitioning you from who you are and who you were into who he called you and who he designed you to be. And there is tension in their conversation. And he says to her, what does this have to do with me? And if I were talking to myself about this message, if I were preaching this just to me, I would tell myself something about the way that Jesus comes to Mary. And maybe you want to preach this to yourself as well. That Mary comes to Jesus and she tells him, They have run out of wine. It's a statement about a problem that they're having. Mary does not come to Jesus and tell him what to do. Mary does not come to Jesus and explain to him what she thinks the next three steps in the process ought to be. Mary does not come to Jesus and say to him, this is how I want this to play out. She simply comes to Jesus and makes a statement about a problem. Now, it's apparent from her statement that she believes that Jesus is capable of solving this problem. It's apparent from the way that she comes to him and the way that he replies to her that she believes that there is something that can be done in the hands of Jesus. But it is not apparent to us what she is expecting him to do because Jesus, or because Mary does not come to Jesus saying, this is how I want you. And when I think about myself... I would say to myself, how often do you go to Jesus and tell him what you think he ought to do about the problems in your life? I will take your silence to mean that you understand that predicament. I would wonder to myself, how often is it that I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, I've got this thing going on and I've done some research and I've been thinking about it and I've been working on it and what I need you to do is I need you to go talk to them and what I need you to do is I need you to open this door and what I need you to do is I need you to show up in this way and I need you and I've worked it all out, Jesus, and I've got all the problems sorted out and I'm just kind of letting you know now what it is that I need you. It reminds, sometimes I drive in my car and I have my kids with me and the kids are in the back and I'm in the front in the driver's seat a seat I have ridden in for over two decades now I'm familiar with this location and the activities required to function in this seat and then I will hear voices from people who do not even have double digits in their age from the back of my car saying things to me like Mom, it's time to turn. Mom, turn right now. And I will think to myself, while you understand 
some of the things that we need to do right. Yes, the school is to the right. You do understand that. You are not aware of all of the elements and all of the factors that are at play, which is what the person in this seat is responsible for. And then it makes me think about my prayers, instructing God on all of the things that I need him and I want him to do and show up on in my life. And I think to myself, me going to God saying, what I need you to do is, and it's time for this thing to move and it's time for this thing to get going and it's time for this person to start acting right and it's time for all this and I imagine God saying I have been in this seat a long while and I don't need instructions from you right now because what you're not aware of is all of the aspects and all of the elements and all of the other pieces that I'm looking at. And perhaps I'm not moving them and I'm not changing them because this isn't about them. This is about you. Meredith, I'm trying to form something in you. Meredith, I'm trying to do something in you. So how about instead of coming to me with all of your instructions and all of your advice and all of your directions, you just come to me and let me know what the problem is. And Mary goes to Jesus and she lets him know what the problem is. And Jesus tells her, this actually is not my problem. My hour has not yet come. And then Mary just turns away and looks at the servants. And she says one of the most profound scriptures Uh, profound sentences in the scriptures to them. I don't know if she just decided to play her mom card. I don't know if her faith rose up on the inside of her. I don't know if she trusted the character of Jesus so much that she knew he wouldn't be willing to leave this couple out there on their own. But Mary just turns from Jesus and looks at the servants and says to them, do whatever he tells you to do. It should be the motto for every believer that is a follower of Jesus. Do whatever he tells you to do. She looks at those servants and she says, I've told him about the problem. And now my statement to you is whatever he says to do, do that thing. I'm telling you, not if you're part of the crowd and not if you're a fan of Jesus and not if you think he's a pretty great guy. But if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a person who said I've dedicated my life to this thing. It ought to be your bumper sticker on your car. It ought to be your tattoo on your arm. It ought to be on every mirror in your house do whatever he tells you to do because he's getting ready to tell them to do something that seems like it makes absolutely no sense he's getting ready to tell them to do something that seems like it is not going to solve the problem that we have at all I am telling you when you follow Jesus there are things that he is going to tell you to do that seem like they don't make any sense at all do it anyway. There are things that he is going to tell you to do that seem so big and seem so monumental and seem like such giant steps out of the boat and onto the water that you think there's no way I could ever do that and not drown and not be overcome by it. There's no way that I could go out and stand in that space and not be shamed by it and not be overtaken by it. But if he tells you to do it, go ahead and do whatever he tells you to 
to do. There are things that he's going to tell you to do. And they seem so small. And they seem so insignificant. You go and sit somewhere and he says, no, don't sit on that side of the table. Sit on the other side of the table. And it seems like it's nothing. I'm telling you, be careful of ignoring the small, tiny speaks of Jesus in your heart. When the Holy Spirit whispers to you. Because it might seem like nothing. But he might be setting something up in your life. Because he is placing you exactly where whatever he tells you to do make sure you do whatever he tells you to do tell him about your problems but then whatever he says to do after that make sure that's the thing I know you want to see this move in that way and he told you to move this way but whatever he tells you to do do that thing I know we're out of wine and he told you to go fill it up with water but whatever he tells you to do make sure that's the thing that you do I know it seems like nothing and you are hoping for a great command but whatever he tells you to do do that thing I know it's out of your comfort zone and I know it's not your temperament and it's no I know it's how you don't like to be seen but whatever he tells you to do do that thing don't be found in those who say well I was around Jesus a lot but he told me to do some things and I never moved whatever he tells you to do do that thing whatever he speaks out of heaven do that thing you might look silly to the people around you but you're gonna look awesome in heaven you might look foolish to your family but the miracle is on the other side of it. You might be wobbly while you're taking the step because you weren't sure you could go this way. But I promise you, Jesus is standing there and he's waiting for you. Whatever he tells you to do, you got to do that thing. It might seem like nothing. This last week in Wednesday prayer, somebody came and told me, that Jane, who helps lead prayer, came to them during prayer and said, I feel like God wants me to tell you something, but it doesn't really seem like it means anything. It seems like it's just, it's just an empty phrase, but it's what I heard God say. So I wanted, to, I wanted to do what he told me to do. He told me to say these couple words to you. And it seemed like it wasn't anything. But that person came and told me what Jane said to them. And I know some things about what that person has been walking through. And I know that what Jane said to them is exactly what God is speaking and is exactly what it's connected to and exactly why this is the moment and exactly why God declared it through someone else and exactly why it's what I've been sensing in my spirit, but it had to come through someone else. Whatever he tells you to do. I promise you he is aware of more of the pieces and more of the details and more of the things that he needs to be aware of than you ever possibly are. So whatever he tells you to do, do that thing. So he tells the servants to go fill the jars with water. There's six jars. And they take them and they go and they fill them with water all the way to the brim. And then they take him and he says, okay, now go serve that to the master of the feast. The master of the feast was like the one who was responsible for all of the food and making sure everyone had a good time. It was an important job. I don't know how they decided who was going to have to pour out that cup. I don't know if they sent the youngest one in first or if they drew short straws, but they know they just put water in these jugs. 
And they know they're walking towards the master of the feast. And they dip in that jug and they start pouring it out. And in my mind, that poor brother who got picked first starts pouring it and looking back at the others like, do you see this? Do you see this? It's not water anymore. It's, there's wine coming out of this. I know I filled it with water, but somewhere between that well over there and me carrying it here, what was in here as water is coming out as wine. And Jesus never misses a moment because this is about saving this couple from this moment of shame. And I love that the first miracle that Jesus does is to come in behind somebody and guard them from the shame and the embarrassment that was creeping at their door. But it's also about the fact that the water represents what was before and the water represents the thing they had come out of and that the wine represents a new living life in him and they begin pouring out the wine and they pour out the wine that these servants had in this jug and it says two things it says they filled it to the brim and then when the master goes to drink it he says you have saved the best for last Someone say the brim and the best. When Jesus does a miracle in your life, it is the brim and it is the best. It being filled to the brim speaks of his abundant hand. It speaks that he is always going to give you more than enough. He didn't show up with a couple more glasses of wine. He said he filled it all the way to the brim. All six jars filled all the way to the brim. And the best is what he does. Whatever you could have done by your hand and whatever you could have purchased by your hand is nothing compared to what he did because he is always going to show up in the best form and he is always going to show up in a more excellent way and it says that that water that or that wine that came from water was the best that was saved for last poured out to the master of the feast and instead of being shamed the bridegroom is now being celebrated because of what Jesus did in his life telling you the thing that you thought was going to be the greatest shame in your life is getting ready to be the thing that people celebrate for you in the days to come because of what Jesus does in your life. There's another funny thing we have at weddings. We have special dishes that we use at weddings. Special dishware, different plates, lots of extra silverware that you don't know what all why do we have so many forks here all of the sudden it seems like they all work the same and we have multiple glasses and multiple bowls and all of the different things and special unique dishware that we have set aside just for the wedding jesus goes to this wedding and make no mistake about it this is jesus miracle jesus is the one who performs the miracle. John records it as his first miracle that begins to announce his time. And John uses a word. If you're going through the spiritual meal plan and you and reading through the book of John, John uses the word over and over again, signs. He says, and this began his signs. 
Throughout the Gospels, there are several different words that are used. Sometimes it's signs and wonders. Sometimes it's his wonders. Sometimes it's his miracles. Sometimes it's his power. But John continually, repeatedly, exclusively uses the word signs. Because for John, every time Jesus cracks open and disrupts the natural order of things on earth, it is a sign that is pointing and declaring to who he is. And it says his manifest glory becomes present. When God comes and moves and disrupts the natural order of things in your life, it is a sign to you of who he is and of the miraculous manifest power of his presence being known in your life. And it says his glory was revealed because Jesus performed the miracle. And it says the disciples saw it and believed because they saw what Jesus did because they were close enough in proximity to where Jesus was that they got to be near him when he told those servants go fill those jugs and go take them over there and they watched the whole thing playing out and no doubt they thought I'm glad I'm back here and I'm not the one who's getting ready to have to scoop that out because I don't know how this is about to play out but they were getting ready to find out that you don't ever have to be nervous when you're doing what he told you to do And when they saw it, they believed in him. And then the servants are the ones who got to carry the miracle. The servants are the ones who got to fill the jugs with the water and pick up those jugs, though they were heavy and though it took them some effort and walk it over to the master of the feast. And when everyone else thought all of the wine had run out, they got to scoop in and say, go ahead, take another drink from this cup and get ready to find out. And the servants are the ones who got to carry the jugs. But the vessels, those six stoneware pots that were sitting there in the back corner, unused, those six pots are the ones who got to be filled with the miracle. The miracle went all the way on the inside of who they were. See, these weren't just any any kind of vessel they weren't just any kind of pot that was laid out there they were made for something specific it says they were stoneware pots which means they weren't made from just your run-of-the-mill kind of clay from any dish that you would have in your house they were made from a very specific kind of clay that had very little pores on the inside of it that was able to withstand a higher heat than just a regular clay they were able to go into a kiln at higher degrees of temperature than the regular clay was and they were brought here for a specific purpose it tells us that these were the vessels and these were the pots that were brought here to be used for the ceremonial cleansing that was part of the Jewish rituals and the Jewish cultures and they were sitting in the back corner because they had a specific purpose and they had a specific use and presumably that you 
use had already happened throughout the wedding ceremony and they were no longer needed because the Jews had specific ways they would wash their hands and specific ways they would cleanse their dishes to ensure that they were still ritually pure and these things now found themselves as vessels sitting on the back wall brought here for a single purpose and Jesus said go fill them with water I'm getting ready to shift the purpose of these vessels they were brought here to be used for one thing but I have something different in mind for them and they filled them with water and the vessels that had been intended for the old order of ritual purification were getting ready to be filled with wine for the new way of his life everlasting it represents to us that purity used to come through your ritual and through your practice but purity was getting ready to come through his new living waters through his wine that was poured out from heaven from the blood that would be poured out from him and it was in Inside the pot that that transformation happened it was inside the pot that that it was in those vessels that the miracle happened those vessels that were sitting there unused those vessels that were sitting there already discarded those vessels that were sitting there brought here for one purpose but getting ready to be used for something else this is what God told me to come and tell you today he's getting ready to shift your purpose in your life he's getting ready to upgrade you into something new you thought you were formed for one thing but he has something different in mind for you you thought you were brought here for one reason but he has something entirely new in mind for you the thing that you were brought here for was just the excuse to get you in the place that he needed you to be in for the miracle that he was getting ready to do in your life for those of you who have sat there and you've thought to yourself God is that all that you had for me God have you used everything that was on the inside of me God is my purpose done now God have I already done what you've asked me to do and I've already should I just be satisfied that I get to sit here on the back wall at the banquet I heard God say over your life he's getting to upgrade you you thought you were just here to carry water but he's getting ready to pour new wine on the inside of you he's getting ready to pour something fresh on the inside of you he's getting ready to pour something with life-giving power on the inside of you the miracle is on the inside of the vessel and the miracle is getting ready to happen on the inside of you he's getting ready to step you into walk you into move you into carry you into a season of miraculous transformation on the inside of your life oh it's not over for you yet oh he's not done with you yet oh it's not over if you just lift your hands right where you are lift your hands right where you are if that word is for you if that word is for you if you know that his promises are yes and amen if you know that everything that he's spoken over you will come to completion I heard God say over your life that he's not done with you yet that the thing that you thought the frustration that you feel the anguish that you feel the hurt that you feel the tension that you feel it's because you thought you were here for one thing 
but he's getting ready to fill you with something entirely new. He's getting ready to transform you from the inside out. And now when they look at you, you're not just fulfilling with water and sitting on a back row somewhere. You're not just for filling up with ritual purification. Oh, you're filled with the power of His Spirit. You're filled with a new wine that's being poured out on the inside of you. You're being filled with something fresh and overflowing. God, we pray over these people right now. I declare over your people. I declare over every person in this room that you have something new pouring out for them. That you have something fresh pouring on the inside of them. I declare over them father God that every purpose that you have for their life would come to completion I declare over their life that fresh vision is coming into their hearts and their minds I declare over their life come on if this word is for you if you felt stuck can you just cry out to God in the midst of it that I declare that a fresh vision is coming for you right now I declare that fresh clarity is coming over your life right now I speak over you that he is giving you new steps to order your way I speak over your life that he is pouring out his windows of heaven. I speak over your life right now that there is a new wine on the inside of you. That there is a fresh oil on the inside of you. That those dry places are getting ready to be breathed on by the breath of heaven in your life. That those longing places are getting ready to be breathed on by the breath of heaven in your life. That those places that you thought were hurting and those places that you thought were lacking. Those corners that you've wondered, God, why do you have me sit? here and what am I doing here he says I just have you waiting for something that I'm getting ready to do in your life I've just been positioning you for the new wine that I have to pour out for you I have an upgrade on the way for you I have a new thing on the way for you I have a fresh purpose on the way for you and I'm just waiting to see can you wait just long enough for someone to come so I can say it's time for their transformation it's time for them to be poured out it's time for somebody to take another drink from the living well it's time for someone to find out how sweet it is when it's made from his hand it's time for somebody to find out that it's not your answer that's gonna solve it but it's his answer that's gonna solve it oh god we love you Thank you. God, we worship you. I thank you that you don't leave us. I thank you that you're a God of compassion. I thank you that you move, Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. God, and I speak over your people between now and the end of this time of prayer and fasting. You would do a miracle in us. God, we are surrendered vessels to you. Transform in us, God, a drink to be poured out. Thank you for your name. Bless you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.